I'm Luke. I'm John. This week we're looking at afternoon game shows. We've done daytime game shows already. They were morning game shows. It's important that we do the afternoon ones as well. Oh, I see. You're embarrassed because quiz shows are supposedly your specialism, but you failed to get one commissioned last time and now you're trying to have another go. It's not that. Well, it's not just that. Imagine how humiliating it'll be if you lose again. You're a complete consonant, vowel, consonant, consonant. They spend their whole lives watching TV. Now they're sharing their opinions with you. Cause now they wanna have some fun. With a channel that is all brand new. Get comfy and without further ado. No choose the shows that you want to view. It's time to change the channel to Luke and John Cracking TV. Luke and John Cracking TV. Welcome to Cracking TV. We're Luke and John, and we're on a mission to create the dream schedule for our own network, Cracking TV. Each episode, we'll be talking about classic shows from a particular genre, picking one to fill a slot in our schedule. We'll be taking it in turns to be the commissioner and the pitcher. The pitcher will bring a number of shows in the hope of scoring that big commission. However, the commissioner has already got a first-rate show in mind. The pitcher desperately wants one of his shows to win and avoid the embarrassment of being thrown out of the commissioner's office. This week, I'm the Commissioner. Luke, thanks for coming in. You've asked me to ask you to pitch some afternoon game shows. Luckily for you, my afternoons are pretty clear at the moment, so fill me up with some afternoon delight. We want a game show that will air after lunch, but before 5pm. So that rules out shows such as The Weakest Link, Pointless and The Chase. Although I'm sure we'll talk about them another time. Now, there are many afternoon game shows I could have chosen from, but I'm going to start big with what I think is one of the greatest TV quiz programmes ever in any time slot. It's... Okay, the heat is on. It's not a bad show, but you're saying one of the greatest of all time. I think it is. Go on, what makes it so good? Well, let's just start with that theme tune, composed by Hans Zimmer. (laughs) That's incredible. I know. Usually you're pitching me some cheap trash when you're pitching me daytime TV game (laughs) shows, and here you've gone with an Oscar-winning composer. Two Oscars, the scores for The Lion King and June, four Grammys, he's been nominated for two Emmys and a Tony, he scored loads of other films, Gladiator, The Last Samurai, Pirates of the Caribbean, Inception... But I think we can all agree, Going for Gold is his absolute pinnacle. It's a very catchy tune. It is a very catchy tune. And he said of it, Going for Gold was a lot of fun. It's the sort of stuff you do when you don't have a career yet. God, I just felt so lucky because this thing paid my rent for the longest time. (laughs) It is one of the great theme tunes, there's no doubt about that. It just sets you up for 25 minutes of quiz. The show started in 1987 after the lunchtime showing of Neighbours, and like Neighbours, it was made by Reg Grundy Productions. Right. And in the first series, the grand prize was a trip to the 1988 Seoul Olympics, hence going for gold. See, I never realised that, but that was quite a short-sighted title then, wasn't it, (laughs) given that that prize worked for the first series, but for every subsequent year didn't make any sense. I think the second year you went somewhere where you could do gold digging. Right. But in the end, they just gave up and said winning means gold. And you won a box of Terry's All Gold. Yeah. The absolute unique thing about going for gold is it was the pan-European quiz. Yes. The show featured contestants from all over Europe. Yeah, people were competing in what was not their first language against UK and Irish people, which always just seemed inherently unfair from the start. And to increase the odds of a UK win, England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland competed separately. (laughs) Sneaky. Going for Gold was broadcast across Europe on the Super Channel, one of the first European satellite channels. It was originally owned by a number of ITV companies, and it showed programmes from ITV and the BBC. So it was like the Britbox of its day. And just like Britbox, nobody watched it. (laughs) Bet you that doesn't stay in. (laughs) (laughs) Going for Gold's titles featured a map of Europe with the contestants waving. Doing a little gun sign or a little crazy Mexican wave or something a bit wacky. Yeah, there was always one doing something a little (laughs) bit crazy. 
One thing that was interesting about this map of Europe, they literally had to redraw it every series because, of course, this is in the era where Europe was going through an awful lot of changes in borders. Oh, okay. So, like, the former Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia. Yeah. Series 1 feature contestants from West Germany. Obviously, later on, they feature contestants from Germany. History playing out in front of our eyes. And who was masterminding this history? The host, Henry Kelly. Who am I? He's an Irish broadcaster, consummate professional, very friendly with all the contestants. Sometimes he'd stumble over his questions, but fundamentally, he was a brilliant host, and the show owes so much of its success to him. Yeah, so Henry Kelly had been on Game for a Laugh, right? He had. Now, he'd actually started as a journalist, first at the Irish Times and then at the BBC on The World Tonight. But at 34, he decided he wanted to move into light entertainment. Wow. He'd known the family of Terry Wogan and was inspired by him. Game for a Laugh was his big entertainment break in 1981. He's introduced catchphrases that are still in use to this day. Okay. So if University Challenge gave us Starter for 10 and Treasure Hunt Stop the Clock, Kelly gave us First Round Proper and You're Playing Catch Up. Okay. And I don't know about you, but they genuinely are two phrases that I still have in my internal monologue. (laughs) Yeah, you do say we're playing catch up on, on this. Questions were written in a distinct style. Who am I? What's my name? Luke. What am I? A dick. Mm, Thanks. I'll give you another example of a Henry Kelly question, right? What's the opposite of an asset? A debt? No. A liability? No. The answer on the card? Alkali. (laughs) The show ran for four days a week and in a very novel twist introduced a repechage format. Okay, you're going to have to explain that word to me. So that's where losing contestants come back for another go the next day. This used to bug me because people would be playing the game, they would Mm. lose. Henry Kelly would say, we'll see you again tomorrow. And I was like, how do you ever stop? (laughs) Once you've signed up to this, you are on it eternally until you win. You were only there for one week of four episodes. Oh, right. So seven contestants started on the Monday. By the end of Thursday, they got it down to one contestant. Okay, and I assume the reason for this was they were bringing all these people over from Europe and putting them up, so you couldn't have a fresh bunch of contestants every single day. It just wouldn't make economic sense. No, exactly. I mean, you can bet they recorded four episodes a day. Yeah. In that qualification round, the first four contestants to buzz through with a single correct answer got to go through to the first round proper. Okay. What we've just had is absolutely not the first round. We need to be very clear about that. Understood. So the first round proper was beat the buzzer. Kelly would ask a general knowledge question for one point, contestants would buzz in, and then a correct answer would give that contestant control, and they would be asked to choose the point value and therefore difficulty of the next question. Right. And Kelly would always ask this of the form, the next category is science, select. Yeah. Going for gold had a very distinctive buzzer. Oh yeah, that's right, that rings a bell. Literally rings a bell. Yep. The first three contestants to six points went through to four in a row. Yeah. Contestants individually picked a category and they had 40 seconds to get four questions right in a row. Okay. It's kind of explained in the name. An incorrect answer resets your current score to zero, but the score that you take through at the end of the round is the highest chain of correct answers. Okay. Shall we play an example? Yeah, sure. So I'm going to give you four categories. Mm-hmm. Astrophysics, the Byzantine Empire, Biomedical Engineering, or Grange Hill. <laughs> I'll take Grange Hill, please. Oh, I did have you down as Biomedical Engineering. You've got 40 seconds to try and get four in a row. What year did Grange Hill start? 1978. What is Ziggy Greaves' real name? Eric. Who was Grange Hill's caretaker between 1985 and 1991? Oh, I can picture him so perfectly. Pass. Mr Griffiths. What was the follow-up single to Just Say No? You know the teacher, Smashhead. Who wrote the classic Grange Hill theme, Chicken Man? Do you talk about this guy, like, every single day? Alan Hawkshaw. How does Anne Wilson get lost on her first day of school? Some mean sixth form girls spin the sign round and point her in the wrong direction. Who designed the new Grange Hill badge? Danny Kendall. You just got in before the time was up and you got four in a row. Yes! The two highest scorers from four in a row go through to the head-to-head 
And this is quite clever, actually. A timer has been split into four blocks of decreasing duration and value from four points to one. Yeah. It was a long question, and it got easier as time progressed. But, of course, the points got less, so you had to gamble whether you would get enough information to get the answer while in that big four-point zone, or whether you should pass. Yeah. The contestant who was behind was playing catch-up. They got given the category and got to decide whether to play or pass. Yeah. First to nine points won, and they came back at the end of the week for a final. The winner of the week went through to the semi-finals and then top contestants went through to finals week to find the series champion. Yeah. Now, the first series lasted for 23 weeks and 92 episodes. Wow. Just for a single series. But after 23 weeks, the first winner was crowned, Daphne Fowler. Oh, she's in Eggheads, isn't she? She is now an Egghead, yes. She has been on many, many shows. Sale of the Century springs to mind and indeed another one that we'll be talking about in a bit. Going for Gold ran for 10 series between 1987 and 1996. But in France, it has been running for 35 years. Wow. As Question pour un Champion, it reached its 10,000th episode in October 2022. And is it also a pan-European quiz in France? Well, no, because nobody else speaks French. Ah, oui, bien sûr. It's been piloted twice in the USA, although neither led to a series. The first was in 1987, before going for gold, and that was called Run for the Money. And then in 2008, this time under the title American Know-It-All, hosted by Neil Patrick Harris, and they came up with the idea of a million-dollar endgame, but it didn't really fit the format. So you're pitching to me a show for cracking TV which failed in the USA. Yeah, but I think between the various versions, it shows there is a solid, if basic, quiz format. But in the UK, it was that pan-European angle that really made it. And of course, Sir Henry of Kelly. Yeah, sure. I mean, who doesn't want to watch a European buzzing in and saying, er, the Beatles? Exactly. The last series of Going for Gold dropped the European competition and made it a UK-based competition. And it lost something. Yeah. And it was revived by Channel 5 in 2000 under the title One to Win. Yeah. And then revived again in 2008 under the original title. I don't really get why you would relaunch it and not call it Going for Gold. I could only assume there was some sort of copyright issue. Right, yeah, maybe. Each revival only lasted for one series and they didn't feature European contestants. Surrey versus Merseyside is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I hope it's interesting because that's the whole premise of this show. (laughs) It's not as interesting as England v France. No, you're right. That was what made it unique. And I think that unfair advantage of the questions being in English gave Brits a sense of superiority over Europeans. Yeah, an unearned sense of superiority because (laughs) because the quiz was tipped in our favour. I think it's notable that Brexit didn't happen while Going for Gold was on air. (laughs) At its peak, Going for Gold really was one of the best quiz shows and it has genuinely earned cult TV status. I remember Going for Gold very well. I watched it a lot and certainly enjoyed it. So I'm Going for Gold for the commission. Too soon to tell. What's your second pitch? My second pitch is 15 to 1. Now that's good. That's a good show. So this originally aired between 1988 and 2003 on Channel 4. And at first it rotated with Countdown. But soon it paired with Countdown for a quiz double bill. Yeah. It's widely seen as one of the toughest quizzes on TV. It really was tough. The fact that it was in that daytime slot where you expect things to be a bit less challenging and a bit more play-alongable, you'd be pleased if you could get a handful of questions right when you were watching it yourself. Definitely got you thinking in the middle of the day. Yeah. So it was devised by John M. Lewis, a former BT sales manager. He'd seen that a lot of game shows were American and he thought, well, I could come up with a game show. Hmm. And he sent the idea to a number of production companies and these are just companies he'd seen on screen at the end of programs he had no connection to tv most production companies said no or ignored him altogether but william g stewart's company regent optioned it the show is quite simple it starts with 15 contestants the aim is to get a single winner hence 15 to 1 The only significant difference from the original idea was to change it from 20 to 1 to fit a 30-minute slot. William G. Stewart hadn't originally intended to host, but he decided he couldn't find anyone better. He was a producer, wasn't he? Very experienced producer. He'd been a Butlin's Redcoat. He joined the BBC's Light Entertainment Department, worked on all sorts of things. 
Later, he joined Central and produced Family Fortunes and The Price is Right. Yeah. He'd later go on to play pivotal roles on Don't Forget Your Toothbrush and Wanted. I think Toothbrush is one of the greatest TV shows in British history. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when Chris Evans came up with the format and made a series of pilots for it, he mm. could never get it to work. And it's when William G. Stewart comes on with that real understanding of light entertainment and what works that the show was elevated into the stratosphere. He is a TV god. Yeah. So he decided to host 15 to 1, and I think he hosted in a really genial way. He let the quiz be tough. He didn't need to be Anne Robinson on The Weakest Link. Right, yeah. And he was always friendly towards the contestants. Too bad if they got it wrong and went out. He wasn't sycophantic either. Mm -hmm. In round one, each player starts with three lives. Yeah, they have three lights on the desk to indicate how many lives they've got. Yeah. Each player is asked two questions. If they get one wrong, they lose one life. But if they get both questions wrong, they lose all three lives. Yes. When you lose all three lives, your lights on the podium go out, but so does the light above you and you have to sit down. Yeah. And then at the end of that first round, it's, for example, four down, 11 to go. The surviving players would take their remaining lives through to round two. And now it was a simple lose a life for every wrong answer. The aim is to get down to just three players. Yes. The first player is asked a question, and if they get a question wrong, play moves to the next player. Yep. Once a player gets a question right, the round begins in earnest, because a right answer gives you the opportunity to nominate who gets the next question. Yeah. In the early part of this round, it was always a bit rubbish if someone kept hammering the same person, because that didn't really feel like cricket. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, when it got down to five or six people, that was inevitable. That's what you'd have to do. Yeah. Once they got down to 12 down, three to go, the three surviving contestants went through to the daily final. Yeah. They started with three new lives and they faced 40 questions, each worth 10 points. Questions are initially on the buzzer, but once someone reaches 30 points, they win control and they're asked, question or nominate. So I can either take a question in the hope that I will get it right and yes. increase my points total. Yes. Or I can nominate one of the other people in the hope that they will get it wrong and they'll be quickly eliminated. Exactly. The aim is to be the last person standing and to get a score high enough to be one of the top 15 scorers of the series so that you get invited back to the grand final. Yeah. The series prize was some sort of antiquity, typically an urn. Yeah, it was some sort of museum piece yes. that I always used to think, is this like priceless? Is the point of winning that that you could sell it for a fortune? But it wasn't, was it? It was just, no. this is a nice thing that represents the honour of having one. I mean, it's probably worth a couple of thousand pounds, mm -hmm. but it's intended to be something that you display in your home. Daphne Fowler, who we've just talked about, won both 15 to 1 series in 2001. How was she able to compete in two successive series? If you win the daily final, you get invited back for the next series. Right, okay. And so you'd see some faces who'd come back series after series, because even if they didn't win the grand final... They'd keep winning their episodes, winning, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, the maximum score in the final is 433. Mm -hmm. So that's 400 points for answering the 40 questions. Yeah. But you'd also get a point for each of the lives you had left at the end of round two, and then 10 points for the lives you had left at the end of the final. Yeah. This perfect score was achieved just once by Bill McCaig in April 1999, and he's a minister from Glasgow. He just never nominated at all. He just answered all 40 questions straight. Yeah. Now I've got the 40 questions that Bill faced for his 4-3-3. Right. I'm going to ask them to you and see how far you get before you lose your three lives. Oh, God, it, it won't be very far. In 1948, a modern version of which oath was drawn up by the World Medical Association in Geneva? Hippocratic. History of Television. The police constables Bert Lynch, Jock Weir and William Fancy Smith appeared in which series? Zed Cars. Which Shakespeare play is set in ancient Britain and opens in the palace of the elderly king who has decided to give up his kingdom and divide it amongst his daughters? King Lear. Britain in the 20th century. What is the significance of the date? August the 9th, 1902, June the 23rd, 1911... May the 12th, 1937, and June the 2nd, 1953. Coronations. Sporting records and results. The record time for this four and a half mile event stands at 8 minutes, 47.8 seconds, and was set in 1990 by Mr. Frisk. Which famous event? Oh, I don't know. Think your name? Uh, is it the Grand National? 
In English law, what is deemed to be the first priority for payment from the estate of a deceased person? Debt? The funeral expenses. Oh, right, yeah. The Bible, New Testament, who in Revelation chapter 6 symbolised conquest, slaughter, famine and pestilence? Four horsemen of the apocalypse. You're a good Catholic boy for getting that. <laughs> Literature. What sort of creature in P.G. Woodhouse's novel is the Empress of Blandings? No idea. No, I wouldn't have a clue. Prize pig. Science. Mount Wilson in California, Siding Springs in Australia, and Mauna Kea in Hawaii. What's the scientific connection? Are they volcanoes? Observatories. Astronomical observatories. Ah. Uh. Okay, they were tough questions. They were tough questions. You got six out of nine. That's not shabby. And he got 40 straight. That is incredible. One of the greatest achievements in TV quizzing ever. You have to have such a breadth of knowledge. Absolutely. One last story to tell about 15 to 1, though. In 1998, Regent Productions sued Trevor Montague for breaking the rule that losers are not allowed to take part again unless invited. Right. He'd been knocked out in 1989. Yeah. And then he entered again in 1992 under the name Steve Romana. It's six years after that that they sue him. Yes. Well, a viewer had been watching a repeat of the Steve Romana episode on Challenge TV and noticed similarities between the two and contacted Channel 4. The reason it went wrong for him is because he'd been invited back as Trevor, as a loser, in 1997. Right. And he'd won the series. Oh. And a £3,000 vase. Right. A few weeks later, a viewer seized Steve Romano and think, oh, he looks like this person that's just won. The show sued and wanted its vase back and won. <laughs> wow. This viewer who is watching old episodes and then deciding to contact the production company is uh, someone, let's kindly say, with a lot of time on their hands. Yes. And maybe slightly less kindly say, what a massive grass. <laughs> well, maybe they were just curious. Mm. Mm. And actually, this wasn't the first time Trevor had done this. He pulled the same trick to appear on the Krypton Factor twice. <laughs> okay. 15 to 1 was revived in 2013 with Adam Hills hosting primetime celebrity editions and Sandy Toxvic hosting civilian editions in the afternoons. It's a great show, really tough, but with enough play-along ability that you really enjoy watching it. Strong pitch for a strong show. It's time for me to tell you the show that I brought with me. It's Countdown. Right. Obviously the king of afternoon game shows. You are in for a very, very hard time. That doesn't mean it should be commissioned. It's not automatically countdown, but I'm just saying you've got your work cut out. Okay. We're going to get straight into playing the games, and I'll explain a bit more about countdown as we go. First up, it's the letters round. Yes. So I'm going to be the co-host here, picking up the letters tiles. This job was done by Carol Vorderman until 2008, and since then has been Rachel Riley. I've got two piles of letters in front of me, and you need to choose consonants or vowels. Could I have a consonant, please, John? T. Consonant. R. Consonant. P. Vowel. A. Vowel. A. Consonant. T. Consonant. J. Vowel. O. Maybe another vowel. A. Okay, out of these, we are going to <laughs> try me, to... You've given me three A's. This is how the letters came out? Right. We're going to try and make the longest possible word we can out of those letters in 30 seconds. While we play, we can listen to something I prepared earlier about the history of Countdown. Countdown is based on the French show Des Chiffres et des Lettres, which has been running continuously since 1965 and is still running on French television to this day. Yorkshire Television bought the rights to the show in the early 1980s, and they made eight episodes of it on Yorkshire Television under the title Calendar Countdown. It was a spin-off of their nightly regional news programme, Calendar, which was hosted by Richard Whiteley, so they made him the host of Calendar Countdown 2. Okay, so Luke, how many letters could you come up with? Four. I also came up with four. What is your four-letter word? Trap. I also got trap. So if we go over to Dictionary Corner, then the lexicographer, first of all, will check that trap is a valid word. Oh, I wonder. Since 2003, the only lexicographer has been Susie Dent. Before that, it was done on rotation, and she's been in the rotation since 1992. She confirms that trap is a word. Come on. She's got a celebrity helping her. There have been hundreds of them over the years, but whenever I watch, it seems to be Giles Brandreth or Rick Wakeman. Yeah. Together, they'll tell us what the longest words possible were and any otherwise interesting words. 
Now, there were two six-letter words available in our letters round. Oh, really? Tarata, T-A-R-A-T-A, or Totara, T-O-T-A-R-A. Bollocks, I'm going to get those words. I've never (laughs) even heard of them. Tarata is a New Zealand term for lemon wood. Of course it is. Totara is some sort of a plant. Right. I mean, yeah, it's the look of the draw. It depends which letters you get. Well, yes. You mentioned Calendar Countdown, and I've never really understood how a local news programme would have a quiz as its spin-off. It's a funny old bit of TV curiosity, isn't it, from the past? Well, I guess it shows the power of the calendar brand in the Yorkshire area. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Channel 4 commissioned Countdown, and it became the first show ever broadcast on the new channel in 1982, with Richard Whiteley as the host. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be able to say to you, welcome to Channel 4. Now our first programme, Countdown. Hello, hello, good evening. And as the countdown to a brand new channel ends, a brand new countdown begins. This countdown is a quiz game that all of you can play at home. And if you're good with figures, or you figure you're good with letters, well, we think this could be the game for you. And it is still running to this day. And, of course, Paul Coyer, the announcer there. We just played the letters game, and the contestant with the longest valid word scores one point per letter, or 18 points if they've used all nine letters. Yes. So now we're going to play the numbers round. Again, I will take on the Carol or Rachel role. So I've got 24 tiles face down, and they're arranged into two groups. I've got 20 small numbers, which are 1 to 10, and I've got four large numbers, 25, 50, 75, and 100. The large numbers are on the top and the others are underneath. You need to choose six numbers altogether. Yeah. So usually what people will say is I'll have one from the top and five small numbers. Yeah. If you're a bit of a smart arse, then you'll say I'll have six small numbers. If you're an incredible smart arse, you say four from the top and two small numbers. But that's a real dickhead thing to do. And then a random number generator gives us a target. But do you know what that random number generator is called? Uh, Yes, I do, Smarty Pants. It's Cecil, Countdown's electronic calculator in Leeds, named after Cecil Cora, Channel 4's first head of light entertainment. Okay, very good. So Cecil will give us a three-digit target number, and we'll have to use the six numbers that you've chosen to try to reach the target number. We can do addition, subtraction, multiplication, or division, but we don't have to use all six numbers, right? Yes. How many big numbers do you want? Could I have four from the top and two from anywhere else, please, Carol? You absolute prick. (laughs) So the numbers are 75, 50, 25, 100. There's a surprise. We've got one and eight. Yeah. And the target is 585. Typically, there are 10 letters rounds and 4 numbers rounds, plus a conundrum, which we'll discuss later. The winner of each game wins the famous Countdown Teapot and returns for the next day's show, and a player who wins 8 games in a row is declared an Octo Champ and retires from the heats. At the end of the series, the 8 best players, ranked first by the number of wins, then by their total score, are invited back to compete in the series finals, and the series champion is crowned. I think I might have 585. Okay, I got nowhere near. I really hate it when there's the four big ones. So go on, explain to me how you got to 585. 50 divided by 25 is 2. Yeah. 75 minus 2 is 73. Yeah. 73 times 8, 584. Yep, it is 584. And there's a 1 left, so add it on 585. Very nice. Congratulations. Thank you. If you hadn't got the target right, Carol or Rachel would have shown you how it should be done because they're both maths wizards. Absolutely. The final round of the game is the countdown conundrum in which the contestants are shown a combination of nine letters. They have 30 seconds to form a single word using all the letters and they must buzz in to respond. And the first to correctly answer scores 10 points. I'm going to let you play the conundrum solo though, Luke. Yeah, I can't do the conundrum, but let's see how it goes. The letters are N-O-O-N-E-F-A-R-T. No one fart. Yes. And your time starts now. In 2012, Channel 4 orchestrated a special mashup night where it would merge two shows from its history as part of its 30th anniversary celebrations. Amongst the programmes to be merged were Countdown and 8 out of 10 Cats. 
Both Rachel and Susie were involved, alongside Jimmy Carr, Sean Locke and John Richardson. It was supposed to be a one-off. 11 years later, 8 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown is still going and is possibly more popular than either of its parent programmes. And time's up. What is it? It's very opposite to today's theme. It's afternoon. Oh, Sloblock. It's a pretty simple game, but a really good show. Obviously, as we know, Richard Whiteley hosted it for a very long time until 2005, so 22 years altogether. Yeah, now Richard was the face of Yorkshire television, and because Calendar and Countdown were on every day, he was christened twice nightly Whiteley by Terry Wogan. Yeah, and Richard would say once yearly nearly. Yes. He was a very warm and affable presenter. I used to think he was kind of bumbling, to be honest. I used to think every day we're watching this guy do his job really, really badly. But now that I look back on it, I think I was wrong and he was right. I think he had a very deliberate way of making the show feel intimate. He had these garish ties and bad suits. Once he wore a tie that had the letters of countdown arranged vertically, the word down was under the desk and his mic was clipped over the O. (laughs) Of course, he was known for his puns. So if you found the word apple, he would say core, what a good word. And if you found the word sofa, want to guess what he would say? Um... Sofa, so good. Very good. You're thinking on his lines. Mm. Well, Richard did have a good sense of humour, as he proved during this moment. Valentino. Seven. Seven again, and Lawrence. Seven. Seven. Let's say Lawrence is seven, please. Not sure if I'd uh, say this one. Wankers. Wankers. Well, certainly it is said by many people. There's no question about it. Wankers. I'd be interested to see if that's got in the dictionary. Gino. We've got a pair of wankers. A pair of wankers. (laughs) Is it in? Sorry, sorry. It's in. Oh, it's in. They anticipated my next line. What is Richard Whiteley doing asking for a definition? (laughs) A pair of wankers. Now, to be clear, I am not using that as a segue into my next point, which is that Richard formed a double act with Carol Vorderman for many, many years, and she became a very famous TV personality in her own right, of course. Yeah, Carol's an absolutely brilliant host, and now a total hero on Twitter. Absolutely. Can you name all six of the permanent hosts who have been in the seats since Richard left? Um, we've had Des Lynham. Yes. Des O'Connor. Two Deses. Jeff Stelling. Correct. Nick Hewer. Yes. Anne Robinson. Yes. And Colin Murray. Bang on and in order. Well done. Nick Hewer actually hosted it for nine years, which seems amazing. It's incredible, isn't it? And the music, of course, is one of the really strong points of the format. Yes. As composed by... Alan Hawkshaw. Our favourite Alan Hawkshaw, yes. Second time mentioning this show. (laughs) Yeah. For a very long time, the warm-up man on Countdown was a chap called Greg Scott, who went on to do some TV presenting in his own right and who I've worked with. Have to say, he's always full of very warm stories about what a nice show that was to work on. It does seem to have been a genuinely family atmosphere. Well, that's good. That's what you want to hear, isn't it? So that's Countdown. Hmm. We're ready for your next pitch. So I'm going to talk about, talk about. Okay. So like Countdown, this was made by Yorkshire Television, although Talk About aired on ITV. Yeah. And it lasted for three series between 1990 and 1993. Okay. Now, the last series was actually in the 9.25am slot. Right. But the first two series were definitely in the afternoon, and I do think of it as an afternoon show. Is this another one of your crappy, cheap filler material shows that you try to throw at me from time to time, Luke? No. I mean, it is a cheap format. Right. And we'll get a lot of episodes out of it for not much money. (laughs) We've been down this road before, Luke, and I am sceptical from the off. It may be cheap, but it is an awful lot of fun. Well, you know I'm persuadable with things like that. I mean, I've commissioned Win, Lose or Draw. And this has the same sort of production values as Win, Lose or Draw. Right. Now, it's based on a Canadian format, and the UK version was hosted by comedian Andrew O'Connor. Okay, well, you're off to a good start then, because I really like Andrew O'Connor. I always found him a very funny presence on TV. Exactly right. He came to fame on cheesy ITV impression show Copycats. Yeah. And went on to On the Waterfront, which we've mentioned previously. Yeah, I really enjoyed that show. These days, Andrew O'Connor is a TV producer extraordinaire. He set up Objective Productions. 
Yeah. He is one of the biggest movers in British television. And I'm sure financially and creatively that's been very rewarding for him. I think it's a little bit of a shame that he has stepped away from the camera. I, I remember when he would occasionally fill in hosting The Big Breakfast, for example. I always thought he was really good. Yeah, he is good. Shall I explain the format? Please. It features two teams of two. Yep. The first team chooses a category. Mm-hmm. Each person in that team gets 20 seconds to talk about that category. It's that simple. It's talk about. <laughs> it could be shoes, and then they have to talk about shoes for 20 seconds. Exactly. They have to try and reveal 10 hidden words, Yeah. and each word is worth a point. Okay, so the question setters have chosen 10 words to do with that category that you might mention when talking about it, and you need to pick those out. Exactly, and if you don't get all 10, the other team are shown the words you missed, and they are asked to guess the category to steal the points. Okay. Play reverses, and the other team takes the lead on talking, and it keeps going until one team has scored 15 points. Okay. So the winning team goes through to the bonus round. Right. And one member of the team goes into a soundproof booth. I always enjoy a quiz show with a soundproof booth. You can't beat a soundproof booth. The team member not in the booth gets 20 seconds to talk about a subject. They again have to try and hit 10 words, but this time each word is worth £20. Okay. And then after 20 seconds, the missed words are shown and the talker has to decide whether to gamble on their partner being able to hit one of the words they missed. Right. If their partner succeeds, their cash is doubled, but if not, they lose it all. So high stakes. Yep. The original talker can also opt to double-double. And that means they nominate a specific missed word for the partner to hit. If they don't, they lose everything. Oh, really high stakes. Yeah. And then they'd get to play the game again as the reigning champions. That's it. That's the game. Very simple. Simplicity can be a strength in this sort of show. A massive strength. We should have a go. Yes. And I've told you about this show in advance so we can both play head to head. Yes. So would you like to talk about the Northern Ireland Protocol or Anton Deck? Okay, I will try Anton Deck. Let's give you 30 seconds to talk about Anton Deck. Go. Geordie TV presenters started in Biker Grove, playing the characters of PJ and Duncan. Since gone on to a pop career, they had hit with um, Let's Get Ready to Rumble. They've presented TV shows including Saturday Night Takeaway, SMTV Live, CD UK. Um, They are... uh, They've done Poker Face, uh, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Um, Their full name... You got five. That's not too bad. Which ones did I get? So you got Biker and Grove. Yeah. They were two words. You're lucky there. You got SMTV, Mm -hmm. you got Takeaway, and you got Celebrity. Okay, and what did I miss? Unfortunately, you said Geordie, not Newcastle. Right. You missed Chums. Right. Idol, as in Pop Idol. Right. Talent, as in Britain's Got Talent. Oh, yes. And then the difficult one at the end, Alien, as in their film, Alien Autopsy. Ooh, yeah, that was tricky, but I'm, I'm happy with what I got, and I am not offended by the ones I didn't get. <laughs> okay, would you like to try? Sure. Two categories that you can choose from. Luton Town Football Club. God. Or Roland Rat. Let's go Roland Rat. Oh, you surprised me. And your time starts now. So Roland Rat Superstar worked for TVAM from 1983 until 1985 before he joined the BBC. Um, his first show was Spectacular Shed Vision Show. Then he did Rat on the Road, Roland's Winter Wonderland, um, Enter the Rodent, Operation Foggy. Um, he did Roland Live at Half Terms. His assistant was Kevin the Gerbil. There was Errol the Hamster, um, who was from Wales and ran the VT department. He liked leaks. Kevin was from Leeds. Roland's brother was little Reggie. His mum was Iris, dad, Freddie. You got five, which is a shame because you packed it with lots of information, but there was so much for you to get through. So the ones you got were TVAM, Superstar, Kevin, Errol and BBC. Okay. The ones you missed were Puppet. He's not a puppet, so that's, that's not fair. <laughs> rat Cave. Was Rat Rapping in there? Rapping was in there. Mm. Glennis. Yeah. And Flea. And Colin the Flea, yeah. Oh, well. That's talk about a fun little show. Okay. I had fun playing along. Good. You've got one final attempt to get something in, but before you do that, would you like to mention any shows that almost made it onto your list but didn't quite? There have been many, many afternoon quiz shows. Some of them definitely cheap dross. I mean, I don't know if you remember XYZ with its consolation prize of a mug tree. <laughs> no, I don't. But I'd like to mention Tipping Point. <laughs> 
It's hosted brilliantly by Ben Shepherd. Right. But unfortunately for him, the star attraction of the show is a coin-pushing machine. I mean, who would have thought that those things that we've all walked past in arcades a thousand times would become the star of a TV show? I know. I mean, the show should be naff, but actually there's something quite mesmerising about it. I agree, because that machine is constantly moving throughout the whole yeah, show, right? It yeah. never stops. Contestants are just answering questions to earn counters to drop into the machine. Yeah. And the aim is to extract the counter with the star on it to win the jackpot. Yeah. And there are obviously different rounds about how you answer questions and how many counters a question is worth. But that's basically it. And yes, it's all about this machine. Yeah. And it's all about how the counters drop. So there is now a whole lexicon to describe how the counters have dropped into the machine. No. Ghost drops and has the counter <laughs> edged. It's crazy. Yes. The other show I wanted to mention is Turnabout. So Turnabout was the same era as Going for Gold, and it ran for eight series. It was hosted by Rob Curling. Yes. Turnabout is a word game played by three contestants playing as red, green and blue. Yeah. Rob would read out a clue to a word, and if you got the word, you'd get to turn about a sphere on a 4x4 board. These spheres turned between the colours of the players, red, green and blue. And if you got three in a row, you got five points. And four in a row, you got ten. So it's almost like imagining a Connect Four board. It's a four by four grid. You're trying to get your spheres in a row. Exactly. The show featured a pond in the middle of the studio. I remember that. And I remember as a kid being quite confused because lots of TV shows had shiny floors. Mm. And then there was one with a body of water in it. And that made me wonder whether that was what was going on with all those black shiny floors. (laughs) Is there water all over the place in TV? And if so, why? It's just a pointless gimmick, isn't it? Yeah. And Rob did nearly fall in once. (laughs) This game is not massively well-remembered amongst the general public, but is very fondly remembered amongst game show aficionados, right? Exactly. I think it's a great show, although I'm not pitching it today. Okay, so what is your final pitch? No questions, John. Except one. Deal or no deal? Okay, that's a great show. So I'm going big again, right? Start big, finish big. Exactly. So Deal or No Deal, based on a round using a Dutch show called Hunt for Millions. Right. And this show was sponsored by the country's postcode lottery. Oh, okay. It's an Endemol production, perhaps unsurprisingly. Yeah. And the Dutch show is actually based on a German show, The Chance of a Lifetime. But the Dutch changed the end game, and it was that end game that got spun off into the format of Deal or No Deal. Right. And as a format, it's been sold all over the world, often as a primetime show. But here in the UK, it was shown on Channel 4 in the afternoon. It's a lot glitzier, isn't it, when you see it in other countries? It obviously makes for a completely different show. And there's pros and cons to all versions. Yeah. Amounts of money are placed into identical cases or boxes. Yeah. Most countries use cases. We've always used boxes. And nobody knows what's in which box. Yeah. The contestant has one of those boxes and has to eliminate yeah. the other boxes from the game. Yeah. After a few eliminations, the banker offers to buy the contestant's box. The banker's aim is to limit the amount of money that the contestant wins. Yeah. So the contestant can deal and take the banker's offer or no deal and keep playing. Yeah. And in the UK, there are 22 boxes. The amounts range between 1p and £250,000. Yeah. If you don't deal, it keeps going until there are just two boxes left and you get to open your box and see what you had in it. Yeah. And often the bank will offer you the chance to swap those last two boxes. Yeah. Now, one of the interesting things about the UK version is that potential future contestants open the boxes, whereas other countries use models. I think this is what makes it really interesting and and one of the things that elevates it above being what is really quite a basic format. Mm. It's this idea that there are 21 potential contestants plus today's contestants. So if I choose a box, I'm asking Dave to open his box. And Dave is a person whom I've got to know because we're staying in the same hotel. Exactly. We're spending all day every day together. And I'm going to him, oh, Dave, please don't let that be the £250,000 that's in your box. And if he opens it up and it is a big amount... He feels bad. He feels bad and he, oh, John, I'm sorry I've let you down. All he's done is open a box containing something (laughs) that he doesn't know what's in it, but he's massively let you down. Although it's completely irrational and illogical, they've really managed to build that into the format of the show. Yeah. And of course, the person at the centre of the show is key to this. Yes. It's hosted by Noel Edmonds, and this is his great TV comeback. 
Because he had been in the TV wilderness for a very long yeah. time, hadn't he, before Deal or No Deal? Getting on for 10 years. Yeah, having gone from being the big star of Saturday Night TV mm. with Noel's House Party, he was considered finished exactly. and then resurfaced with Deal or No Deal. And his personality and what he brought to the show was absolutely key, right? Exactly. Edmonds obviously is this brilliant live TV host. And although Deal or No Deal wasn't live, I think he used all those same skills in being able to move yeah. a show along and essentially do it as live. And he created this mythology around the game. Yeah. It is just revealing numbers. Yeah. You know, he taught the contestants about their strategy for picking the boxes. Yes. As if these numbers meant something special to them. And there was some divine fate that was determining whether a low or high amount was revealed. Edmonds is into all that stuff, isn't he? He's yeah. into cosmic ordering and yeah. magical thinking sort of stuff. Well, I have two thoughts on this. There's the purely logical, rational sense of that is bollocks. It's yeah. bullshit. The order in which you open the boxes is irrelevant. The numbers that you pick is irrelevant. It's just a game of chance. Yes. But then for a TV format, building up that excitement, that tension, and that sense of you as the contestant are not just making random decisions, but there's something underpinning the decisions that you make does make for compelling TV. It does. I mean, it is obviously bollocks, all this cosmic ordering stuff. But I think the bit where it then works really well is the interaction with the banker. Yeah. During the run of the show, top secret who is the banker, they wouldn't yeah. reveal. We've subsequently learned that the banker was a chap called Glenn Hugel, a TV producer and former actor. And during the show, he would ring Edmonds and they genuinely spoke on the phone. Yeah, so there was a big black phone on the desk which would ring when the banker wanted to either make an offer to the contestants or just psych them out. You compare this with some of the foreign versions where they just reveal the banker's offer. It doesn't have any of this back and forth. And Edmunds, you know, really played up that role with speaking on a phone. I mean, it's channeling swap shop. Yeah, yeah. Edmunds was on the side of the contestants and hoping they would win as much as possible. Absolutely. And the banker was trying to make sure that the contestant went away with as little as possible. Yeah, and so even when the contestant had a really big reason why they needed that money, the banker's role was still to be absolutely cold-hearted and stop them from winning. Yeah. And all the talk about which numbers are important leads to the psychology of the show. Yes. The confidence or otherwise of the player is taken into account in the banker's offer. Yeah. The banker doesn't just offer what mathematically you might think should be offered. No, absolutely. It was tailored to the contestants and their appetite for risk. Yes. And there was so much nomenclature that Edmunds managed to come up with, wasn't there? Yeah. He referred to the contestants as pilgrims. Yeah. Contestants were arranged just on two sides of the set. That became known as the East Wing and the West Wing. <laughs> yes. And you'd almost sort of say, oh, the East Wing's having a good week and the West Wing, <laughs> they, they're not. <laughs> they're just random boxes. <laughs> Yeah, but it's finding stuff to talk about in, yeah. in what it could be a really dry and empty format. And it never felt like that. No. He kept it entertaining the whole time. I'm not the biggest Noel Edmonds fan in the world, but I think the way he presented this show was a masterclass. Absolutely, absolutely. So as we said, it's been a huge international hit. Too many countries to mention. In the States, Patrick Hilty hosted a pilot for ABC. Oh, that's surprising. ABC turned it down, but NBC picked it up and went with Canadian comedian Howie Mandela's host. Right. And that ran for years. And it's about to come back in a new format called Deal or No Deal Island. Cases of money have been hidden on the banker's private island, and it's Deal or No Deal meets Survivor. Right. I have to say, I'm a bit sceptical. Yeah, me too. And it's coming back in the UK um, onto ITV this time with Stephen Mulhern. Stephen Mulhern gets a go at every single thing that pops up on ITV, doesn't he? Obviously, he is a great host, but sometimes just try someone else. It will be interesting to see what he does with that. Yeah, it's very different to catchphrase and in for a penny, isn't it? Yeah. Would you like to play along? I would love to play along. So I've got eight amounts here in virtual boxes. I'm looking at them on my screen. Yeah. We've got 1p, 50p, 250 pounds, 500 pounds, and then the big money, 1,000 pounds, 25,000 pounds, 100,000 pounds, and 250,000 pounds. And just to be clear, whatever amount I win, you're going to pay me, right? After this show, I will pay whatever you win direct to your bank account. Fantastic. Which box would you like? I'll take box eight as my box, please. Right. 
I mean, obviously, numbers are all random. It's all bollocks, and there's no cosmic ordering, but you have to have a reason, right? So I've picked number eight for a specific reason. Okay. In the first round, you need to eliminate three boxes. Which box would you like to eliminate first? Okay, well, I'm going to just do this really at random, but I'll tell you what my thinking is, right? Number one, that's a goalkeeper's shirt in football, so it's the least valuable of all. So let's get rid of number one, please. Number one? That's the 50p. Ah, see? Well, maybe there is something to this system after all. Maybe. What are you going to get rid of next? Well, let's just stick with it then. Let's think about Liverpool squad numbers from the past. Number three, not the greatest players. I'm thinking of Abel Xavier, Kabame, Ziga, Scales, Enrique, Dix. Let's get rid of three. Okay, that's the £500. Oh, hello. Worked again? Yeah, you're doing well. Okay, well, let's stick with it then. So let's say shirt number five, Staunton, Wright, Barosh, Vinaldum. Decent players, but still not the legends. So let's get five out of here. Well, it's the £1,000. Okay, all right. I mean, that's okay. okay. That's not bad at all. Yeah. Shall we get the banker's first offer? Yes, please. So the banker is prepared to offer you £43,000. Well, given that I've still got the 100,000 box and the 250,000 box, I think I'm going to keep playing. So thank you, but no deal. You didn't take long deciding that. No, well, there's big money here. There is big money here. So you get to pick another two boxes. All right, well, let's stick with the system I've had so far then. So the players are getting a bit better now. Yeah. Number two, Phil Neal and Rob Jones. Let's take those out. Oh, 25,000. Ah, see, they're good players, Phil Neal and Rob Jones. Yeah. Okay, but I've still got some good money in here. All right, well, let's go a little bit better again. Let's think about Sammy Hoopier and Steve Nickel and take out box four. £250. Yes, nice one. Well done, Sammy and Steve. So you've got 1p, 100 grand and 250 grand left in the game. Wow, that's big money, but also very small money. (laughs) Should we get the banker's next offer? Yes, please. £73,000. So two of the boxes that I could have have got more money than that in, and one's got less. If you'd offered me over 100k, I might have been tempted, but at 73000 no deal. You just need to open one more box before your final offer. Okay, well, I want to leave myself with the two greatest Liverpool players of all time. Uh, Number seven, Kenny Daglish, and number eight, Steven Gerrard. So I'm going to have to eliminate Alan Hansen, and let's take away box six. Alan Hansen, box six. £100,000. Oh, he was a great player and a great pundit. Wait a minute, I've got 250k or 1p. You've got 250k or 1p. Okay, we better hear what this offer is then. So your final offer... £85,000. I mean, it's a lot of money, and you're going to personally have to pay me that. And that must be pretty terrifying for you, because I could say deal right now, and you'd have to give me £85,000. Yes. Well, look, when we started all this, I thought my numbering system was bollocks, but it's brought me this far. Brought you a long way. I've still got £250,000 that I could win, and do you know what? I think Noel's been right all along. I think this number stuff really means something, so I think I've got 250 k in my Stephen Gerrard number 8, so no deal. So you've turned down £85,000. Yes. And box 8 contains 1p or 250k. Yep. Whatever it is, you, Luke, are going to personally pay to me, John. I I guarantee you I will pay you whatever amount is revealed. Okay. Shall we find out what's in your box? Yep. 1p. You, you messed around then. You messed around before you opened that box. I did not. I could hear you doing it. Box 8 had 1p in it. You are you are a liar. I'm not lying. I'll pay you a penny afterwards. I'll... Well, you can shove your penny up your ass. Right, you owe me £250,000. I do not owe you £250,000. <laughs> you do, because you're a cheat. This game was played fair and square. This is a life-changing sum of money for me, and you're it's just a life-changing not... sum of money for me. Yeah, and that's why you fucking cheated. Nobody made you set up a game of deal or no deal, but you did, and now you've got to face the consequences of it, which is that you owe me a quarter of a million pounds, you arsehole. Pay me the money. You've got to face the... Pay con- me the money. You've got to face Screw the consequences. Screw you, pay me. You've got to pay face me. the consequences pay that me. you only won one P. Screw you, pay me. You're just being a sore loser. You've won one P. This is not over. You could have won £85,000 if you dealt. You didn't. You've won one P. This is not over.
Now, pretty soon I'm going to have to make my decision as to whether to commission one of your shows. Mm. We started with a situation where Countdown was already the strong favourite. Right. Since then, you have robbed me of £250,000. I've not. You are now in, I would say, a very tricky position as we go into the commissioner's decision. However, first of all, let's find out whether you have got the chops to produce an afternoon game show. Okay. So I've got some quiz questions for you. Who turned down the job of hosting Countdown in 2008 as he didn't want to be pigeonholed as a TV quiz show presenter? Oh, is it Alexander Armstrong? It is, who, of course, then went on to pigeonhole himself by hosting Pointless. Yes. What does the G stand for in William G. Stewart? Gladstone. Correct. Which afternoon quiz host was the first ever presenter of Channel 4's T4 Strand? It is somebody we've mentioned in this episode. So we can rule out a few people. It's very unlikely to have been William G. Stewart. And it's not Noel Edmonds. Now, Ben Shepherd did present on Channel 4, The Bigger Breakfast. Maybe he did T4 as well? He did, you're correct. Ben Shepherd, well done. Amazing. The banker on Deal or No Deal was Glenn Hugel, who previously played Alan McKenna in which soap opera? Coronation Street. Correct. You're on for five out of five here. At the time of his death, Richard Whiteley was believed to have clocked more hours on British television screens than anyone else alive, apart from whom? It's very relevant to cracking TV. Broadcast, you think Terry Wogan straight away, but he won't have had the hours on TV. Mm-hmm. Whose face is likely to have been on television for lots of hours? I know who it is. Carol Hersey. Carol Hersey, the face of the test card. That's correct. So you got five out of five, Luke. Well done. Thank you very much. So you have demonstrated that you know enough about afternoon TV game shows to be trusted as a producer. Thank you. But have you brought me a strong enough format? I've brought you some brilliant formats. Come on. So today you have pitched to me Going for Gold, 15 to 1, Talk About and Deal or No Deal. Why wouldn't you pick one of those shows? Because I have come along with Countdown. I'm ready to make my decision. First things first, I'm going to rule out Talk About. What? Andrew O'Connor, very good TV presenter, and the format is pretty fun. Yes. But it's another load of that cheap nonsense that you keep (laughs) trying to get me to commission for Cracking TV. And what we're trying to do here is put together a schedule of classic, solid gold television. And you keep trying to bring in this cheap dross. (laughs) And when I'm the commissioner, it's not going to happen. Talk about, we're not going to talk about anymore. Did you not have fun playing it? It's finished. It's over. Shut up. Going for gold. Classic. That was a good TV show. It had a really good theme tune. It had a a nice quiz format to it. Henry Kelly was a good host. But compared to the other shows that you've pitched me, 15 to 1 and Deal or No Deal, I don't think it's quite as strong as either of those. No. I'm going to rule it out. Seriously? That's the show I'd have picked. Well, you're not the commissioner. No. 15 to 1. That was very good. There's a purity to 15 to 1. That is just good, hard quizzing from good, hard quiz people. Yes. Deal or no deal is quite the opposite. There's no questions, or there is one. Except one. It's a game of chance, but it's fun, it's exciting, the stakes are incredibly high. Yeah. Then there's Countdown, which is incredibly long-running, is iconic for so many different reasons, because it was the first show on Channel 4, because Richard Whiteley and Carol Vorderman were such huge parts of the British broadcasting landscape, because the format itself lends itself so brilliantly to people playing along at home. Mm. Countdown is 100% definitely going to be in my final two here as I make the decision. Okay. So of the ones you've got left in, 15 to 1 and Deal or No Deal. Yes. Because of how it really mixed things up in the afternoon arena, I'm going to take Deal or No Deal through, which is a shame for 15 to 1 because it's a great show. But Deal or No Deal blew my mind when it started. A programme that should have been terrible was actually brilliant. Absolutely. And so we're down to our final two. Now, I love Countdown. Everybody loves Countdown. It's every student and pensioner's favourite television programme. Yeah. And we have to offer something for everybody in our schedule. We do. But anybody can take part in Deal or No Deal. That is also true. There's a large part of me would like to put Deal or No Deal in the schedule. Let's get Noel Edmonds at his crazy best. Brilliant. Yeah. But then I think about when we played Deal or No Deal. That was a lot of fun. 
when you cheated me out of £250,000. John, I did not cheat you out of £250,000, let's be clear. And now you're asking me for a production budget after you just demonstrated what a reprehensible scallywag you are. <laughs> we played that game fair and square, and you have to admit it made for good radio. In a straight choice between these two formats, Deal or No Deal or Countdown, it would be a very difficult decision to make. Yes. Fortunately for me, you've made this decision rather easier for me. Uh, what? With your terrible behaviour here today. <laughs> and so, today's commission is going to Countdown. No. It's going to Countdown. No, no, no. You've, you've, no, no. You're, you're speaking wrong. To Countdown. No, 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 no. Keep going. Unfortunately, Luke, you have come into this commissioner's office twice with game shows to pitch to me, and on both occasions you have failed to win a commission. Please leave my office. I I think you've made a big, big mistake. Get out. Sorry for wasting your time, but at least I'm not giving you £250,000. Out! Cheeky get. So that was Afternoon Game Shows on Cracking TV. Hope you enjoyed it. It was hosted by me, John Furlong, and the absolutely disgraced Luke Sluman. Our rather marvellous theme tune was written and performed by Simon McInerney. Luke and John, Cracking TV is an iHog factual entertainment production. It's time to change the channel to Luke and John, Cracking TV. Luke and John, Cracking TV. Peter Wankers.